This is the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. It is Season 5, Episode 3. Welcome to the podcast. I look forward to talking to my guest today, Catherine McBride, who is a food and health writer. Um, I've known Catherine McBride largely from social media and her website um, emails that I get weekly. Um, I've always enjoyed her writing, and I thought I'd get a chance to talk to her, so I invited her to be on the podcast, and she was a great guest. I really enjoyed getting a chance to talk to her, and I even found out that she was a chef, a local. She lived here in the Bay Area, and she was a chef at Chez Panis. She now resides in Kansas, so um, without further ado, we're going to go right to the podcast. Um, I hope you really enjoy this, and here we go. Welcome to the Well Seasoned Librarian Podcast. Today, I'm very happy to have on my show, Catherine McBride, who is a food writer and also has the Fresh Cornbread newsletter, and she's written lots of articles um, for publications. Catherine, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm really enjoying, um, I, I, first, I, think I, I, I think I first saw you on Twitter, where I usually give you a hard time. Uh, you ask <laughs> what about what, what, what food is this? And I usually answer something stupid. And then I think I uh, followed and I uh, saw your, found your website and then I um, got your fresh uh, cornbread newsletter. And yeah, so I've been really uh, becoming a fan. So I want you to, if you can, tell our listeners a little bit about you and your work and we'll go on from there. Um, yeah, so I uh, formerly worked as a professional chef and in recent years, really just cook for myself and friends and family, but really just love exploring food. I read cookbooks all the time. I'm always listening to other podcasts about food and um, just really love connecting with people about food. Um, and so being on Twitter and Instagram has really allowed me to connect to people all around the world and hear about what they're eating and what the food traditions are in their area. And it's just really, I just love that. <laughs> so me too. Um, yeah. Now, what time in your life was it, was it like in your childhood or adulthood? When did you get attracted to food and think it might be something you might want to do career wise or work with career wise? Um, I mean, I grew up uh, cooking with my parents. We didn't eat out almost ever. Um, so we, cooked a lot. I definitely remember very early on being in the kitchen with my mom, um, you know, standing on a, a chair <laughs> at the countertop cooking and um, just really appreciating homemade food. That was just really our normal. Um, and uh, it wasn't until I was in college, I studied French and spent a semester abroad in France. And that was the first time I'd ever left the country. First time anyone in my family had ever left the country. Um, and just fell in love with the food over there. I mean, it's just really fascinating, really fascinating to see just kind of the status of chefs there and just how focused people are on having really high quality food. I went to farmer's markets there and traveled around the country and just came back being really sure that I wanted to go to culinary school. Um, much to the disappointment of my family, actually, who were hoping for Aww, uh, a more, <laughs> you know, a more prestigious career, like a doctor or a lawyer or such. So, uh, but anyways, I was in a bachelor's degree program. I finished that program and then immediately went to culinary school. Uh, so <laughs> it was just, you know, when you're passionate about something, it doesn't matter who's telling you 
that it's not a good idea. <laughs> so. Families though, what are you going to do? You know, it's funny. There's so many people that I talk to that are writers or artists or actors and uh, they all have that moment where their relatives are like, wouldn't you rather do something else? Maybe it's more lucrative. Like, could you have it? Could you could do this on the side that maybe you could do? And they always like try and do that stuff. And I, I it's as a parent, I kind of I can understand that, but I yeah. try and be careful of that too because I don't want to. I mean, how you wonder how many careers were squelched because you know people exactly. like said, "Oh, to hell, I'll become an insurance agent," you know, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I I understand it. You know, on on the one hand, especially having been through the industry, it's it's hard. It's, it can be a very hard life. Yeah, but especially it can now. also be a hard life to not be passionate about what you're doing. So yeah. you know, so there's a fine line there, I guess. Absolutely. So. Um, I want to ask you about your time. You mentioned um, you were a classically trained chef. Uh, tell us about that. How was that for you? Um, yeah, so I went uh, through an associate's degree program um, here in Louisville, Kentucky, where I live now, and um, at a place called Sullivan University. Um, oh, I, I got to stop you there. Hold on. So are you doing okay? Like I've heard about Kentucky in the news and everything. Are you guys okay? I mean, I didn't yeah. know that when I talked to you that you're in Kentucky. I feel stupid. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, that's okay. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, Kentucky is kind of a big state. It's sort of shaped like a triangle. Right. I'm in Louisville, which is sort of up towards the top of the triangle facing yeah. north. If the triangle's facing north, it's kind of up towards the top. So really the tornadoes hit Western Kentucky, right? which is probably like three three to four hours where where I am three to four hours drive um but I'm actually like halfway watching my phone right now because I'm supposed to be doing some volunteering this afternoon I might be going down there um to help with some stuff so um so yeah it's a little tricky so where I'm where I'm at in Kentucky we are a little little far away from where the tornadoes hit but still um a lot of people here are, are heading down there to try to help so uh yeah it's it's kind of but we weren't we really weren't impacted here in Louisville. So it's just really strange to see the pictures, you know, cause it's, yeah, it's like a whole different world down there. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. I, I just, I was curious cause I was like, I've heard so much about it living outside of it. I think it's like the wildfires here in California. If you live outside yeah. of California, you're not sure how it plays out or anything. Exactly. Yeah. It's very strange. Um, yeah. So, um, so. about your, your training as a chef in, in Louisville? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, it was interesting for me, like in a lot of ways, having come out of a bachelor's degree program, I mean, I guess I was like 21 when I started culinary school, which seemed fairly young, but there were a lot of people who that was their first college experience. So they were coming in at 18, you know, right. which is only a few years different, but those are really critical years, you know? So for me, it was like, I was kind of one of the older students, um, which is really interesting. And, um, and I think I was kind of approaching it from like an academic perspective, you know, like I just need to gain all this knowledge, but culinary school is definitely, very, I mean, it's very hands-on, you know, I mean, you were in the kitchen on day one <laughs> um, and adjusting to that life. You know, I remember we had my first class was, it started at seven in the morning and it went for four hours. I mean, we were in the kitchen for four hours, which, I mean, if you're going to be a professional chef, that's, that's nothing, you know, but if you're, if you're coming oh, yeah. from a place where you've been like sitting in front of a computer, typing out term papers, you know, four hours in the kitchen without any break, 
um, running around is, is kind of exhausting, you know? So it was physically difficult at me. I mean, it was very evident that that was something I really hadn't done that much of. So, um, but also exhilarating. I mean, I was just learning all these things I'd wanted to learn and, um, you know, just, yeah, absorbing all this knowledge of food and techniques. I mean, we were doing, starting with sauces, you know, all the classic French sauces, you have the mother sauces, and there's like, you know, 200 sauces that come off of that. I mean, it's just a whole world to dive into, which, um, honestly, a lot of that I haven't used since, <laughs> but still, it was so amazing to kind of, again, tap into this French culinary history, you know, of people who've been developing these complex recipes, you know, they're hundreds of years old, you know, it's just really amazing to jump into that and be like, wow, I don't know anything, <laughs> you know, very humbling, I guess. Yeah. I can imagine. So tell us how um, you transitioned to be a um, freelance food writer. Yeah. So that's been really like a roundabout kind of thing for me. So, I mean, I worked um, in restaurants, um, and, and doing catering for quite a few years and then, and then got a little worn out, um, developed some back problems, some feet problems, <laughs> just got tired of working every single holiday, never seeing my friends. Um, and yeah, it, it, I mean, it comes down to kind of what my parents said. It doesn't pay that well, like even at the highest levels, despite right. the fact that we see, people on the food network and, you know, stars who have their own cookware lines, like the majority of people are just hustling really hard for not much. So, you know, so I stepped yeah. away for a little bit. Um, and then actually ended up getting um, a master's in social work um, and getting into doing grant writing. Um, and so did that for quite a few years. Um, I actually do medical writing now as my main gig. Um, but in recent years, yeah, I wanted to keep a foot in, in the food world, you know, so, um, just, yeah, connected with some folks at a local publication called Edible Louisville, um, yeah. which is really focused on farm to table, um, farmers, there's just been a lot of really great things happening in my area in recent years with people actually being aware of the fact that like we do have farmland just outside of the city, you know, so farmers can pop in and bring all sorts of wonderful things. And so stuff that has been common in other places for a while is really starting here, like CSAs and um, we're getting more and more farmers markets and there's more and more farm to table restaurants opening. And it's really, I mean, that's really very close to my heart in terms of the kind of cooking that I like to do. So that's really inspired me um, to want to tell some of those stories. So, Do you think the food scene in the South is changing? Because you write for a publication, Edible, and I know you probably make a lot of contacts and people or have friends in the food industry of the world there. Do you think it's changing in the South? Because I've been seeing a lot, like there's a Southern Foodway Alliance, mm -hmm. and then there's um, a lot of, there's like a resurgent on roots cooking and discovering the origins of American cooking in the South. Do you think things are changing? Because I'm seeing like books about people, about uh, chefs from New York moving to the South and opening restaurants and trying to like cook local cuisine. What's happening there that you perceived? Yeah, I definitely think things have changed. Um, I mean, I've, I went to culinary school here in Kentucky, but then I actually left and moved out to California for a while. Oh, really? Um, Where? Where'd you live? 
Uh, so I lived around the Bay Area. Oh my uh, God. Yeah, so I was in Half Moon Bay for a while. Oh, um, I love Half Moon Bay. Making wedding cakes for destination weddings. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. And then, um, and then I was in uh, San Francisco for a while, and I was in Berkeley for a while. So. Oh my God, that's nearby um, where we're at. Oh, cool. Yeah. So. And in Emeryville, so. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I actually, yeah, I know exactly where that is. But um, yeah, so I think you know, like. I think like a lot of people, I mean, I came here, I thought it was cool, I enjoyed it, but then I left, you know, like yeah. I kind of felt like the cool food things are happening somewhere else, you know? <laughs> um, and so it is really interesting for me to then come back here and see all the cool things that are happening here. And I do think there's been a, a shift. I mean, I didn't grow up in Kentucky, didn't grow up in the South, I grew up in Chicago, but um, over the time that I've lived here, um, I definitely think there's a new appreciation for Southern food and for what we can actually offer here rather than saying, let's try to be like someplace else, <laughs> you know, because I think, I mean, my, I'm an outsider, but um, I feel like the South can kind of struggle with, with wanting to um, be you know, kind of an important place to be, basically, you know, like, like, what makes us impressive, you know, and I think it, people are starting to answer that question and saying, like, we have, there's identities here, and the South is a huge area, obviously, but like, you know, in Kentucky, I think people have started to really appreciate, like, what, what Kentucky is and what it can offer, rather than, you know, saying the standard that we're being held to is whether we can import fancy seafood from, Maine or whatever, you know, like we have our own things. We have cornbread, we have sorghum, we have, you know, our own regional uh, food traditions and um, and we can elevate that. That can be fancy food. You know, that doesn't just have to be like your down home barbecue place. You know, we can actually elevate that and have it be fine dining, you know, but it's Southern fine dining. And that, I think that's the concept that I've seen really grow in recent years is that, you know, those those dishes don't have to be considered um just like cheap basic food <laughs> you know that like that this is high quality food like it just came from the farm and we've you know um we've dressed it up a little bit but you know it's good southern food and that's yeah. people are actually looking to have that now which is just kind of a revelation i think for a lot of people here like oh wow like you're coming here to eat our food you know and uh, and paying good money for it and i think that's great yeah, I mean, it's funny because I know when I visit the South, ultimately, I have destinations in mind food-wise to go. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because these, I listen to a lot of podcasts like Gravy is one, um, the Southern Foodway Alliance, they talk to a lot of chefs and stuff in the South. And it's weird because I'll hear them talking about something like they'll be making local barbecue with like local meat, but then they'll be pairing it with like uh, kimchi made with like ramps and they'll be having like a nap of wine and it's like this weird fusion and it's really cool to watch because it seems to be yeah. a really exciting place to be right now yeah it's really interesting to kind of um yeah sort of figure out what what mix of things you want from where you are and from somewhere else what goes together um there's definitely like just a lot of new concepts people doing really interesting things so it's exciting I really like your uh, presence on um, social media. You have a really great uh, Instagram page and a really great Twitter page. And I really like what you do on there. Have you made like a lot of friends and contacts? You seem to have a large following there. Yeah, I really have. I mean, it's, um, 
I originally joined Twitter, I guess, or I started getting active on Twitter really like around early, maybe 2019, I think. But I, I basically got on there with the intention of trying to connect to um, editors of food publications, hoping to see if they had calls for for pitches, you know, for stories and that kind of thing. And um, and then when the pandemic hit, I found that I really was just craving that connection that I think we all have been craving. Um, and being able to talk to other people about food was really, really helped me emotionally and kind of helped motivate me to to come up with things to post on there, you know, and um, and it's been, yeah, it's been really amazing like, things that have come out of it, you know, obviously I've connected to you because of it um, and I've had a lot of, uh, yeah, other really neat connections. I mean, I'm really surprised. I wouldn't, I, I was very uh, kind of cynical about Twitter, I guess, before I got yeah. on there. I thought, oh, it's just, you know, however many characters you get, 180 characters, it's a very soundbite society, like there's no real depth there, but um, all sorts of people on there and it's really, really cool. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I don't know where, I, where I'll take it, but it's kind of, it's, come up with a life of its own now. So, you know, we, if I don't, if I don't post, like if there's a day when I don't post, like people will start tagging me, like, are you okay? They're messaging me. You know, I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, there's so much negativity in social media. It's nice. You're kind of like an island in the storm because oh, there's so much bad stuff there. And even I get caught up. Like I start wanting to post political posts and I want to start yeah. screaming and it just, I become, I've actually canceled two accounts because of that. And oh, I said, wow. this one, I'm just going to do food and like my, my blog and my, my podcast. And so I've been really enjoying talking to people about food, but then it's so easy to sneak back into the, the politics starts sneaking back and it just becomes a screaming match where you're kind of talking to your echo chamber and blocking people. So you're supposed to really pleasant and always very upbeat. And it kind of like, it's, it's like a jarring experience and all the negativity Then you see the good stuff. It's like, this is nice. This is what we're here for. This is why I'm here. This is why I came here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I try to try to bring that in and, and it helps me too to not get caught up in, in the muck, you know, so um, try to keep it peaceful. And, and I think people understand that and they respond to that. So, uh, but it's, it's a fine line. I mean, I have had <laughs> unfortunately block a few people and had yeah. to kind of, you know, raid in a few people and say, hey, you need to, you know, we need to keep this, this conversation civil because, you know, food can connect to politics very quickly or people's opinions about food. They can start bashing somebody else's food likes or whatever, you know, and I'm like that's not what this is about. This is about us being curious about connecting and saying, okay, if you, you know, if you want to eat that, that's fine. I don't, I may not, but so what, you know, like it's not, we have to ultimately decide like what is tasty and what is not tasty. Like it's not, it's kind of ridiculous, you know? So I try to, I try to kind of bend that off with like poking a little fun at them or, you know, or myself or, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting process. So, um, but yeah, I try. <laughs> it's weird because like, I know a lot of people that post and a lot of women that post on there and like, they'll say, they'll be just posting about library stuff. And then some guy will be like, they'll DM and go, Hey baby. And they're like, Oh, Come yeah. on. I'm just doing <laughs> library posts. I'm not here to meet people. Will you please stop? And these guys are like coming out of the woodwork. They're like, oh, hey, you're hot. You know, and it's like, it brings out a lot of real weirdos and stuff. And I think people like, I've seen people to say like, I like this movie or I like this book or I like this food. And somebody's like, oh, I hate that. You're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, geez, I just said, <laughs> I like this movie. 
and now you hate me you have a fatwa against me like I don't understand I know you know and I think it's so tricky I I I try to remember that we're all on there because we want attention you know and and attention is a need for connection like we're all trying to connect and and if people aren't getting that connection that attention in a, in a good way, you know, they're going to do whatever they can, <laughs> you know, I hate to say it, but it's, it's kind of like a whiny child having a temper tantrum, you know, um, they'll do whatever it takes to get the attention that they crave. So, so I try to give people attention for, for good things, you know, like come back, say something nice, you know, <laughs> I'll give you good attention, but if you keep persisting. So, yeah, I mean, I get my fair share of, you know, uh, lewd uh, DMs. <laughs> and, you know, I I give them a few chances and, and I say, okay, no, that's not, that's not what I'm here for, you know? So, but yeah, I mean, you put yourself out there and it's, I mean, it's weird for me. I'm a pretty private person. And so it's been a real transition for me putting myself out there um, in this way. Uh, so, you know, it's, it, it can be a little odd at times. I mean, there's definitely times where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm out there. Like, this is all public, you know? Um, I've had friends who were like, yeah, I, I figure out if you're awake in the morning because you post on Twitter, you know? It's like people can kind of keep tabs on me. And that's oh a little Oh my God, weird. I didn't think of that. You know? <laughs> so, and they're knocking on your door. I know you're up. I know you're Right, exactly. You know, so it's, it's a little strange, but I mean, that's kind of the world that I think we're all dealing with right now. So, oh um, yeah, I haven't fully processed the of it but, now yeah. you always post really great photos of produce do you have a do you garden uh so i have for many years yeah i actually um unfortunately i just moved about six months ago um just within louisville but um i had lived in my previous house for i guess about eight years and um had a really great garden that i established <laughs> like i had raised beds I had uh, brambles like uh, raspberries, blackberries, mm. big bushes, you know, all sorts of wonderful things that take a while to get established. And um, I was sad to leave the house, but I was even sadder to leave my garden because <laughs> once you get all that set up, you know, um, yeah, really so I'm suck. starting from scratch. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know if I could do this. Yeah, it's tough, you know, so, um, so that's one of my projects this winter is kind of get that reestablished or start start that process but um but i also do like a lot of i mean i i help other people with their gardens and i do a lot of foraging and that kind of thing so um there's always food at the ready <laughs> you know so but uh yeah i love love growing food so just can't get any fresher than i picked it myself right off this tree <laughs> you know now, so. i'm a i've done foraging myself what can you forage what i'm not I mean, I've been through Kentucky. I've been there I, I, more than once. And, uh, but what is the, the local things? Like you mentioned brambles and stuff, but what are some of the things you can forage where you're at? Um, well, uh, yeah, lots of things. In fact, I keep learning more about it, um, which is amazing because we have just so many wild areas like even within the city there's just areas where there's just nothing you know <laughs> no buildings or anything but um some of my favorites are pawpaws i don't know if you're familiar yeah with those. yeah very much so oh, yeah man. they go around yeah, here those... all over the place oh great yeah those are really common here one of my absolute favorites um uh persimmons we have some um native persimmons which are really incredible now those um, are the um they're not the fuyu there's the other type no. They're the hachias, yeah. yeah. They're like a native hachia. So they're real small. Um, 
but oh, they're so delicious. <laughs> so, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, all sorts of other things like ramps, very common here. Um, it's like a so, ramp season. I always hear about ramp season or people getting wild ramps and stuff all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm learning a few things about mushrooms, but that's always kind of a little bit of a nerve wracking, you know. I'm too much <laughs> of a coward. I would be, I'd take one by, I'm like, I'm dying, line one, one. I'd be I know. <laughs> but I have a lot of friends who are very knowledgeable mushroom hunters. So if one of them's with me, or there's a few things, you know, that, that I'm familiar with that I feel good about. But um, so, but yeah, I'm, I continue to learn more about foraging um, and things that you can make with, you know, that I didn't really know that much about. So, or like sassafras, that's another one of my favorites. Mm, yeah, yeah, sassafras tea. Oh yeah, you can make all kinds yeah. of stuff. It's a great flavoring and isn't it used for gumbo? I think it is used in gumbo. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, I feel like it might be connected filet? to filet. Yeah. yeah, but I've never figured out the, there's so much to know. I mean, yeah. that's what I love yeah. about food. It's just so much to know, so. Now, when you when you're eating mushrooms with friends that have foraged them, do you ever like everybody's going to eat and you like lift the, the fork up and you wait to see everybody eat first? <laughs> yeah. And you act like you're gonna eat, you're like you're like, oh, I have to put that down again and wait. And yeah. you're like hovering and like looking to see. <laughs> yeah, good good idea to kind of wait. <laughs> like you guys go ahead. I'll 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 do the starter first. I'll be right exactly. with you there. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> now tell me about some of the food writers that you follow, uh, either in print or on, online or goodness. Oh, um yeah, I'm not always good at remembering people's names. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sorry. That's kind of um, threw you, I threw you a, a curveball there. No, that's good. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I recently stumbled upon the Twitter account of um Lauren Co who wrote a book, I actually have it next to me because I was just reading it a little bit ago. Um, she, she has this um, Instagram page called Pyometry, which oh, are yeah, these yeah, like yeah. amazing geometrically designed pies and tarts. And uh, that's just been like eye candy for me <laughs> the last few days since I stumbled upon her account. Um, and I love pies. I'm just really into pies. So um, that's been really fun just to see her fresh approach to to designing pies and tarts and uh, just looking at ingredients in kind of a new, a new way, you know, just from, yeah, cutting things out into different shapes and things. And that's been fun. Um, yeah, I've got like a pile of piles of cookbooks everywhere. I've also been reading, um, a book that came out recently by Bryant Terry called Black Food. That's been a yeah, really yeah, interesting yeah. dive yeah. into a lot of different food traditions that I'm not as familiar with. And so it's been really neat, um, reading that, uh, I think you may have frozen. Are you, are you still there? I am still here, but yeah, gotcha. your video gotcha. is frozen. Okay, sorry. Oh, you're back now. Good, or, good. I'm back, or whoever was not here. This happens every once in a while. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you also, um, 
Tell us about the Fresh Cornbread newsletter. Uh, I've really been excited for that and I really like getting those in my email box. Tell us about that and how you came to start it. Um, yeah, so I came to start it maybe a little out of frustration. I've, I've been wanting to do food writing. I've had some, um, some luck, I guess, in terms of connecting to, to folks, um, especially the local edible magazine. Unfortunately, they um, have kind of, uh, they've, they've had some struggles basically because of COVID times in terms of getting advertising dollars. And so um, they've been impacted. And so basically I wanted to, I've been enjoying my time on Twitter and Instagram. It's been fun, but I wanted to do some some longer form writing um, and not really being able to find as many publications to do it for. Um, decided to just kind of start my own thing. So, uh, yeah, so I really wanted to. And around that time, discovered the local restaurant called uh, Mazapai. It's uh, actually does uh, baking classes, like in their wood-fired oven. And they also have a mill uh, where they uh, mill their own cornmeal. And um, I discovered that part uh, of the fresh cornmeal. Uh, they had this really lovely fresh cornmeal that they had smoked. So it was this lovely, like smoky oh my God. cornmeal. Which is oh my God, that sounds amazing. Really fascinating. Yeah, it was amazing. They had just, I don't usually buy mixes, but I stumbled upon it in a, in a local store and uh, made some cornbread from it. I was like, this is just so good. You know, like this is just, I was just like, I guess I've always thought cornbread was good, but this was just new level. You know, it was just like so amazing. And, um, and yeah, around that time, I have a friend who likes to poke around, uh, you know, um, what's that called? Like a, uh, estate sales and things like that and auctions. And, and, uh, I told her I wanted to, I wanted a small, uh, cast iron pan. I used to have one, but I, I don't know where it went. And, and so she found me this like really nice little eight inch cast iron pan that's perfect for cornbread. And, and so that just kind of gelled, you know, so I thought, well, I'm just going to have this newsletter be about cornbread and um, just kind of jump into that world. So um, it's been it's been cool. And I think it's neat because, again, it's one of these foods that's kind of taken for granted as being like a really basic thing, <laughs> you know, kind of one of those, oh, whatever, it's just cornbread. But I feel like it can it can do a lot, you know, and if it's if it's done right, it can just be so good. <laughs> and. And, and just kind of looking at some of the history too um, of cornbread, there's a lot of history that I haven't, a lot of it I still don't know, um, but kind of seeing the way it's fit into different food traditions and and um, kind of what it's meant for people. So we'll kind of see it. I started it back in, in the spring and kind of see where, where it'll take me. So I'm kind of hoping to, to get out, maybe do some more interviews with people and uh, maybe travel a bit around the state and sample some more cornbreads. <laughs> so. Cornbread was so resonant for me growing up. I My grandparents on both sides were from the South, different parts of the South. And my uh, father's mother made cornbread on occasion, but not often. And my, my, my mother's mother always made cornbread, but she made really, it wasn't like you get at a bakery now or in like Starbucks or something. It was flatter, not as, not as fluffy, 
pretty hard like and and but and when it got cold it was pretty hard but yeah. we always had that with beans or something and it was kind of used mm -hmm. as a tool almost in a way weirdly so I always had that growing up and I always it would always be around but my grandmother always had a cast iron pan she cook it in like you said and I grew up now I have my own cast iron pan and I always tell the kids and my wife everybody this is my pan nobody touches it <laughs> yeah. I never want to see any of you using it at any time. I yeah. will kill you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so funny how something like that, like some people don't have one at all, but those who do typically are very opinionated and careful <laughs> with their fans. So, yeah. I'm always afraid I'm going to like open the, the, the dishwasher and it's going to be in there. I'll oh. be like screaming, <laughs> the scream heard around the, around the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's all rusted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, beautifully but... seasoned cast iron pan is a, is a beautiful thing. But yeah, I, I understand your fears. <laughs> did you grow up with cornbread a lot in the house growing up? You know, I didn't. I honestly don't remember having it at all when I was growing up. Um, I, I feel like the first time I remember having it was when I was in college in Iowa, actually, you know, state known for corn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember one of my roommates making cornbread. Um, and I was like, this is amazing. You know, I guess I just kind of had, I don't know. I feel like I had this concept of like cornbread's just kind of dried out and not that tasty, you know? <laughs> so, but she made this cornbread that had, I mean, it was a little bit, a little sweet. I remember it had honey in it and stuff, but it was just so good. And I became totally obsessed with making cornbread for one year while I was in college. I mean, that was like, you know, as people do typically in college, like either they're living off ramen noodles or whatever, like cornbread became my thing. And I became, yeah, I was making it every few days, you know, so, um, and then didn't for a while. And yeah, I guess I'm rediscovering it now. So you ever buy those Jiffy boxes, Jiffy cornbread, the little boxes for like five for a dollar. You ever hit those? Yeah. You know, I don't. And, um, I, I, it's so tricky because I don't, I don't want to be a food snob because, yeah. you know, uh, I want everyone to have access to good food and Jiffy is fine. You know, it's food. It's, it's good, but it's, you know, if, if people could manage to get their hands on like really good stone ground cornmeal, especially local cornmeal, um, like the kind of stuff that's the whole grain, you know, the, the Jiffy stuff that's, that's been degerminated. It's, like really has lost a lot of its flavor yeah which makes it very shelf stable which makes it cheap i mean there's reasons why we do these things but yeah and also kind of makes it like a more uniform texture um which people you know if that's if that's what you've grown up with that is what you think of you know like as yeah. cornbread um so not trying to knock anyone's food choices but uh stone ground cornmeal especially from like a local mill that's just worlds apart you know and we're <laughs> I mean, getting it's just, we're getting yeah. that now. People are returning. We're seeing more uh, small independent corn producers that are that are grinding their own corn. And it's becoming a thing like local. You can buy local corn where you're at yeah. if that's available. And it's like blows my mind to see that coming back and no longer just the big industry where it's either General Mills or whoever have you. It's somebody you could see and, and touch and like talk to, you know, and that's just amazing. Absolutely. To me. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, the tricky thing is, you know, it's so funny, again, cornbread seems so simple, but you start getting into it, why it is this way or that way. And, 
I mean, the thing is, like, if you leave the germ in the grain, like, it's it's got a lot of oil in it, and so it's going to go rancid, you know, not yeah. not overnight, but, I mean, period of weeks or months, depending on how long, you know, how long you hold it for, and so, you know, so having it fresh, like, thinking of it less as a shelf-stable good and more of, like, a fresh product, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, starts to put the focus on, like, having something that's really local, so um, I'm actually at the moment I've been earlier, I was pulling a bunch. I bought a bunch of um, Flint corn. Oh, I'm nice. drying it and I'm going to, I borrowed a grinder from my friend. I'm going to grind my own cornmeal. So again, you know, just like pulling the fruit off the tree, there's nothing fresher than making it yourself. So I always love to try to figure out, you know, Hey, what if, what if I do it? You know, what if I do this myself? Like, what will that be like? So now Flint corn know, is, again, the red, is that a red corn? Is that like a different color? Um, I do have some, yeah, I have some, um, that I bought from a local farmer. That's, uh, it is red. It's very dark red. It's called bloody butcher, which is a really common oh, nice. um, type of flint corn for, for cornmeal. So that's a great name. Uh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> it is a really striking color red. So, I mean, a lot of people would say, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's Indian corn. It's for decorations, you know, but it's, it's edible. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably tastes better too. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm drying it at the moment. My first attempt to grind it, I just pulled it off of the cobs because it seems so dry. It's very hard, you know, and I just popped it into my friend's grinder and it just mucked the whole thing up because it's actually pretty wet on the inside. Uh, so again, it's a learning <laughs> learning curve for me. I've never done this before, but uh, so now I have it drying. It's been drying for a few weeks. So I'm going to try again. So. Um, I was going to ask you, are you what are you cooking for the holidays? Are you cooking anything special for the holidays? question um yeah I've been usually what I'll do is kind of curl up on the couch with a big pile of cookbooks and start to think about what would be fun so um I have on my list today that I'm gonna make a cranberry tart which I've never made before but that just I saw that a picture nice. of one with cranberry curd and it just looked so pretty <laughs> again I've been really inspired good. to do some fancy uh tarts and pies and so I have that on my list and uh yeah i was at a i placed an order with a local farm the other day um most of our farmers markets kind of closed down in the winter but they have like online ordering you know so you can order stuff and they had this really great spinach um so i think i'm gonna make some spanakopita Ooh, uh, nice i love that yeah so it's just for me it's kind of random i don't always you know, follow like the traditions <laughs> um, yeah. of holidays. And I, I tend to be a little more, I'm not like a strict vegetarian per se, but I don't tend to make like a huge meat dish. I tend to have a lot of like other little things, um, but it's kind of random. It's like just whatever, you know, again, to me, it's very driven by the ingredients. Like if I find some amazing spinach, like that's what I'm making, you know, <laughs> like I'm not going to go try to find whatever the thing I want is, is whatever happens to be really good right now. So. I love that. Now I was going to yeah. ask you next, um, any new year's food cooking goals, anything you want to do in the new year, like uh, develop or work on in the new year? Oh, that's a good question. Um, for me, it's uh, croissants. I want to, I'm going to master croissants next year. If it kills me last year was sourdough <laughs> and I okay. I'm still struggling with sourdough, but next year it's croissants. I'm going to do it. I'm going to master it. We'll see where I am in November. Yeah, awesome. Well, I hope you will, will post about that because I'd love to follow along on that journey. Yeah, croissants, I mean, they're not, 
they're not difficult, but there is a lot of like little little things, <laughs> you know, that make a big difference. So, and yeah. winter is a good time to start because you don't have to worry quite as much about your butter melting on you. You know, <laughs> no, that's something you want to do in July danger. in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a really huge danger where I'm at because it gets so it's so usually between 110, 120 where I'm at in the summer. So that's Oof. a palpable thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not the time you want to be messing with butter or yeast for that matter, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm excited to get back into doing some more bread baking. I used to do that um, and haven't as much in recent years. So um, I, I guess it was a year or two ago, I got like a nice big uh, ceramic baking stone for my oven. Oh, nice. um, and so I've been learning kind of how to use that. It's sort of got its own little quirks, <laughs> yeah. so, but, um, I'd really love to get back into baking, like some, some crusty breads and things. Um, so I'm playing around with different grains and now I have this mill that I borrowed from my friends. So I'm like, all right, maybe I'm milling my own flour, <laughs> you know, got some wheat berries. So, uh, it's, I, I love tools. I, I am like a collector of kitchen tools kind of, and I love playing around with different tools and seeing, you know, trying to make my own things. So yeah, maybe mill my own flour and make some fancy bread. That sounds wonderful. That's the way to yeah. go because you yeah. get such better flavor out of it. Absolutely. So what's next for you? That is a good question. Yeah. I'm trying to figure that out myself. Um, I mean, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I ever stepped away from cooking, but really in the last two or three years, I've gotten back into it more so. Um, so, you know, I guess like everybody, we're kind of holding our breath to see where this pandemic journey takes us. But um, my hope is really to spend more time traveling around Kentucky um, and kind of learning more deeply about what people are doing in other communities in the state. Cause I think like a lot of people, um, you know, I haven't been traveling as much. It's kind of forced me to stay nearby, which is kind of, I'm chafing at a little bit. I wish I could travel around the U.S., but, you know, why not travel around Kentucky? Um, nice. I like and, that. And see more of, of what's around here. So um, I would love to make some visits to some of these small producers. I mean, to me, I love visiting farms and small producers and just educating myself more on kind of what it takes to make food you know i mean it's so easy for us to take that for granted um and and spend some more time with some of my friends who are foragers and that's great kind of appreciate the hyper local you know uh so and also getting yeah getting my garden set up at my new space and um i actually had it made a connection on twitter with somebody um who lives in new jersey who apparently brought back a certain variety of tomato from near extinction <laughs> and this last year was his first uh successful harvest of these tomatoes so he's actually sending me these tomato seeds i forgot the name of the variety so that's going to be one of the first things in my garden so i can't wait to know. see pictures of those when they come up that's going to be Thank awesome you. appreciate that yeah so just you know seeing where it takes me seeing yeah what adventures i can get into you know, I wanted to ask this one last question. This wasn't on the list, but I wanted to ask it anyway. So for me, living in California, I talk to people who live outside of California and they're like, they think, oh, it's just a big beach. <laughs> and they think it's like all beach. And they, I'm like, we're actually a really big agricultural state. And it's, you know, we basically have a lot of farms here and, and they, they don't really think of Bakersfield or 
Um, you know, Northern California up near Shasta, they don't really think of the whole big picture. When people right. think of Kentucky, like what, what do you want to like give, what would you like people to know about Kentucky as somebody who lives there and has been all over Kentucky? What would you like to tell people about it? Like for, that are not from there? Um, I mean, I guess I'd really like to highlight just the amazing food traditions that we have here and many of which I don't know that much about um, because I think it's taken me a long time to fully appreciate. Um, again, there is a huge culture of, of foraging here, you know, just because that's what people had to do for so many years, um, especially folks east of here in the mountains. I mean, that's what people did, you know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they would have, they would grow things, but there's a lot of places in the mountains where they don't get a lot of sunlight and so they kind of had to figure out ways of you know um looking for anything that was edible and 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 uh and i i think as as we were saying at the beginning like i think there's become a new appreciation for those food traditions um so i have been getting more i've been reading more and connecting more to the southern foodways alliance and just understanding kind of their um, knowledge and appreciation of a lot of those food traditions so um, yeah, I mean, Kentucky has so much going for it and, uh, I just would love people to really, you know, understand the depth of the, <laughs> the culture here and the food cultures. So it's a beautiful state though. People should visit. It's got a lot there. Any, uh, one last question too, uh, again, bonus question, um, for the listeners, what is your favorite restaurant in Kentucky? Oh, goodness. Um, it's a hard question. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really hard one. If you have more than one, that's okay. Yeah. Um... <laughs> it is a hard question. I if mean, you ask me, not... like, what's my favorite in the Bay Area? I'd be like, I can't answer that. I know. Yeah, that's really difficult. Um, yeah, there is a restaurant that opened a few years ago that's not too far from where I live in Louisville that's called Harvest. And... Um, you know, they are just fully farm to table focused. I mean, mm -hmm. they literally like the art in the restaurant is pictures of farms and farmers. I mean, it's like front and center, like this is what we are. Um, and I have had some, I don't, I, I don't eat out that much. I mean, I like the idea yeah. of eating out and I'm often inspired, but I often just have like gone to the farmer's market and have so much stuff that I'm already cooking here. So you yeah. know, going yeah, out, I totally get like, that. why would I do that? But um I do have a soft spot for Harvest. It reminds me a lot of a restaurant I used to work at in Berkeley, um, very much like farmers coming to the back door, you know. <laughs> so, oh, wow. And I just have, definitely have just a soft spot for that, um, that really close connection to the land. You, know? you ever uh, go to Chez Panisse? That's Yeah, I actually worked at Chez Panisse. Yeah. No freaking way. Did you know Cal <laughs> yeah. Peter now? Um, I remember working with him, yeah. Yeah, we've had him on the show, too. We've had a few oh, alumni. Wow. Oh, uh, wow. Joanne cool. Ware has been on the show. She was at, at, cool. at there for a while. Yeah, that oh, I didn't cool. know. That's really great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was That's a hell really of a bragging right. The what? That's a hell of a bragging right. Oh, That's yeah. pretty big. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a really amazing. You're place. like, oh, yeah, I worked at Shape and I'm like, wow, really? Shape and That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It was really, it was definitely amazing. Uh, it definitely has informed a lot of my, my, uh, you know, focus on food. That farm to table thing is just, you, can't get any better than like super fresh, super local food. I mean, prepared simply, you know. That's well, really... Alice kind of brought that all to the Bay Area. She kind of revitalized that whole thing here. So. Absolutely. 
Yeah, she's been definitely. a wonder, a wonder kind as far as that yes, goes. Absolutely. Catherine, I really want to thank you for being on the program. I hope that you get a chance to come back on. I'd love to have you on again. It's been a lovely be talking to you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity. That was my conversation with food and health writer Catherine McBride. Tune in on Monday and we you can hear our conversation with Michelle Tam, author of the new cookbook, Nom Nom Paleo. She also has a website and YouTube videos for Nom Nom Paleo, so that'll be a treat, and that'll be on Monday. Until then, happy cooking.